On this episode of Reliterated, he was taken from the good life, sold into slavery by a man he trusted, whipped and beaten into obedience, forced into heavy toil and labor in extreme sub-zero temperatures, surrounded by others who would kill him without hesitation just for dropping his guard, brought to the brink of exhaustion and starvation, and he's never felt so alive. Witness one dog's transition from civilization to savagery, and decide for yourself if an author who frequently wrote in favor of eugenics portrayed it as a good or bad thing. Our snowy winter chapter begins with The Call of the Wild on Reliterated, the podcast that's such a good boy. Yes, it is such a good boy. Oh my goodness. To Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of grown-ass adults reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020's hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. We also talk about our books in depth, and that includes spoilers, so before you listen, if you're not familiar with the story, prepare to be spoiled. Even though this book is like 120 years old now, and yeah. <laughs> you should have read it by now. I'm Andy. I'm Harold. And I'm Josh. And we're going to be covering The Call of the Wild, published in 1903 by a man by the pen name of Jack London. Jack London. That's just his pen name? Um, You know what? Now that I say that, I don't think it was... I think it was just the name that he went by. It's not his birth name, but... Yeah, he was uh, born John Griffith Chaney. C-H-A-N-E-Y. Thought it was going to be John Europe or something. Right. But apparently he (laughs) uh, started going by by the name Jack, and then because his dad was never in his life and his mother married a fellow by the name of Mr. London, he called himself Jack London. So, so it's, a, it's a catchy name. I don't understand that one. Like, I get how names become something else. Like, Richard, I can see as Rick. Don't understand where Dick comes from. Um, Or Rich, <laughs> right? But, like, it is not abnormal for someone named John to go by Jack. Yeah, I don't know how the history of how John becomes Jack. Yeah, either. yeah, I don't understand that. Because I, I believe, like, didn't... One of the Kennedys was a John that went by Jack. Yeah, I have an yeah, uncle whose who's like birth certificate name is John Harrington, and he goes by Jack or Jackie. That's weird. Was hmm. his father also John? Because I no. feel like it might be a way to di- differentiate <laughs> between a father and a son. Like, sure, yeah. Like there's dad is the John, and then so the boy's Jack, and so they just call him Jack. So that's what I'm thinking it might be. You know what? Carry on the conversation. I'm going to bing it. Oh. Uh, from what I can see right here, uh, John is from Greek and Latin transformations of the Hebrew name Yokanan, which doesn't make any more sense than the rest of this. Uh, John was such a common name in the UK. One fifth of all men were named John. The nickname Jack came to mean any generic person, the man in the street. <laughs> Well, that's where the term like jack of all trades probably came from. Yep, likely. Ah, uh, yes. But yeah, it's, as he looks that weird. up, I th- I think Harold just did it for us. Oh, okay. So yeah, Jack find him about the same thing. <laughs> yeah, Jack London was uh, an interesting character. That's for sure. Uh, 
because he was a social activist. He was very pro-union. He was, but only for white people because he was a staunch racist as well <laughs> and believer in <laughs> eugenics. So, yeah. yeah he, he thought there was a, a hierarchy between the racists with, with the white man on top. I mean, based on the time he comes from, I'm not at all surprised by that. I'm not saying he would have been a better person if he was born later, but I am saying that I am. It was the time. I mean, it's that's definitely what people a were product like. of its time. Yeah, yeah that people as people were like try that. to make make sense of uh, of why things are the way they are, and yeah, I mean, it's not like we held back non-white people from becoming educated and therefore had a perception of white people being superior. Oh, I'm not saying that we didn't. <laughs> I'm not saying we didn't. That's not what I'm saying. See, this is where I always come no, I know to that. with but these we, things. Like, yeah, but like, we did. And therefore, right. like we see like there's, oh, there's correlations between these dumb people over here and their color. Right. <laughs> so we yeah. must be superior. Not like you didn't you, you enslave them for hundreds of years, you know, and, and whatnot. <laughs> like, yeah. Punish them for learning to read and shit. I will say that people didn't see things. I think it's easier for us to see this stuff today because of the fact that we have so much information. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's so easy to quickly talk to other people. I like to think that part of the reason that I'm open to so many different things is simply because, you know, I'd say when I was like 14, 15 years old and had not had the internet yet, I had a lot of predispositions that were a product of family and where I lived and everything. But as I got older and the internet became more, I mean... Josh would be able to tell you that there was a time when I was very staunchly about certain things, but I've changed my mind on a lot of stuff because because of that influx of information. Um, Jack London can't sit here and defend himself today, and it's pretty awful that he was a racist person like he was because he literally, like you're saying, felt that eugenics made sense, which it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you're trying to use genetics to make a quote unquote perfect person and you're able to use like CRISPR or whatever and, and pick and choose everything. Sure. But if you take two people and put them together, it's as random as just about anything else. You know, mm. you don't, you might get some things that come through, right? We get, Oh, you look like this, that's and that you can get some ideas of, you know, family history of medical, all that good stuff, but you're not going to be able to be for sure that, well, if, if me and this lady get together, we're going to create an Adonis. No, you don't know that. And yet that's what he thought to the <laughs> oh, point sure. where that, to the point where his first marriage, he married his friend and uh, it is said uh, Stance, a writer about this, uh, about the couple said both acknowledged publicly. They were not marrying out of love, but from friendship. And I believe that they would produce sturdy children. That's someone who definitely believes in eugenics <laughs> where he's oh, not sure. marrying someone out of love. But For because of, sure. But because of to to make children that were going to be great, apparently. Hey, you know you know where this practice is alive and well? Dogs. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Dog breeding. Look at the pugs, man. They can barely but, breathe anymore. Yeah, here's the thing with that. It should always teach us that that isn't going to work because we pure breed these animals, right? And what do we get out of it? Well, you get this animal that maybe it is really good at something specific, but they have all kinds of health issues later in life. 
They mm-hmm. don't live as long as other dogs. They have health issues. They, you know, it's Cocker Spaniels are one I think of where they have a tendency to get really mean as they get older. And it, I was told when I was younger, I don't know if this is true, but I was told it was because their brain keeps on growing and their head isn't big enough to contain it. And it just starts making them uncomfortable and they they get cranky. That sounds like something that they would just tell you to shut you up. I don't know, man. I heard it a few it, it times sounds, from different people. It, it does sound like something pseudoscientific. It does sound pseudoscientific. Quickly I'm not explain it is- something away. But I don't know if that's true. It makes sense if there's brain pressure on your cranium and mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, here in uh, this book we are discussing today, The Call of the Wild, um, I don't know. There, There is a little bit of, I don't know, eugenics or whatever, genetic superiority type of discussion at play here um and it may or may not be linked to uh getting back to one's primitive roots a behavioral disorder called cocker rage syndrome or sudden onset aggression but it is more about their anxiety rage (laughs) cocker rage syndrome it's more about their anxiety (laughs) than anything else oh okay yeah there's some dudes out there who probably have cocker rage syndrome. Oh, for sure, dude. <laughs> for sure they do. We just call it toxic masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this this book goes from a it's it's an idea. Oh, do we we want to do a Bob's Your Uncle real quick? See if I can pull off a Bob's Your Uncle on this one. I, I let's get into in summarizing. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> we've yeah, been, yeah, we've been putting off this book for a little bit. Yep. Yeah. It has been a minute since we've we've all read it. <laughs> okay. Yep. But now we're all together. We are ready to discuss <laughs> finally and be- officially begin our snow chapter uh, with The Call of the Wild. So this Bob's Your Uncle is going to feature a couple names right up front. Oh, wait. No, look. All the names are right here in the front. So I'll be able to put them where they were. All right. you're welcome (laughs) yes okay so this book starts out with buck a saint bernard who lives a pretty cushy life on judge miller's estate um he isn't a work dog he's just dog that gets to roam around and one day a man comes up and grabs him and like leads him away he's actually he was supposed to go with this guy because he was like i trust him so he he goes with him well he was one of the workers and this guy ends up selling him for like 50 bucks and he goes to someone else and they immediately start in on you know buck has lived his life where he's like oh you're not going to do this to me and they show him real quick what a hard hit can do for you and uh he learns like oh man i'm not gonna do that again and he ends up getting trading hands a couple of times and gets set to become a sled dog and after becoming a sled dog uh he runs into a dog named spitz that was the lead dog and spitz kills has killed a couple dogs or at least gotten the pack to kill a couple dogs and eventually uh spitz does come at buck but buck ends up turning it around on Spitz, and Spitz gets killed. So Buck becomes the lead sled dog. He sleds on with uh, one group of people for a little while. He gets sold off to someone else. And I can't remember what the reason was that he ends up with John Thornton, but he ends up with a guy named John Thornton who actually treats him pretty well. (laughs) After he's with John Thornton for a while, John Thornton gets killed by some indigenous peoples, 
<clears throat> and Buck goes on a revenge rage and runs down and kills a bunch of uh, these indigenous people and then ends up running off into the wild and leading his own pack of wolves where he sires children and they say that forever on you could see it in the dogs they would come out with like brown fur and some in the wolves in the wolves yeah in the wolves they would come with some saint bernard looks to them like some of the brown and whites and golds and uh yeah he was a beast of a dog and that's essentially bob's your uncle that's uh call of the wild <laughs> I, at I least to wanna, the best of my memory go ahead I, and add something I was to gonna it say, please. i'm gonna i'm gonna add a little bit uh so <laughs> after so when he we first uh meet when buck's first quote-unquote owners are uh two uh people from french the french canadian government who are trying to basically uh show the path that there is and make good time. And then they're, they're sold after his mission is done. They are sold to the postal service who run them ragged until they're almost dead. And then they bring in fresh dogs. And so then they sell those dogs to these idiots who I think are based on Jack London because he failed in the Klondike, but these people are Maybe. just the worst. They're uh, just inept uh, prospectors. Yeah. They're, the, they're the, the dum dums. And so they 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 run the dogs until they die basically and when they get to John Thornton's place he he protects buck from getting killed and those idiots are like yeah we're going to still cross he's like i wouldn't go on that ice it's spring that's not going to hold and yeah they go across the ice and go into the hole so <laughs> yeah they make it like a quarter mile and they fall through the ice <laughs> so see we could have covered that outside the bobs your uncle <laughs> we did we just did yeah no, I'd uh, like the Bob's Your Uncle summary because it's like to the best of your abilities, re recalling what you read weeks ago. Yeah, weeks ago. And well, you, and you did a pretty good job. Yeah, it was <laughs> excellent. Well, it actually, as I was doing that, I was like, man, this is a super basic story. Like all the way through it, it was super basic. Uh, I mean, it's interesting, <laughs> but it just kind of like point A to point B on mm -hmm. this one. Like any story can be summed up pretty basically, but it's in the the artisticness of the telling that uh, makes this a really good story. I thought, yes. anyways. Yeah, it was a good story for sure. Yeah, for this, for me, it was more about the themes presented in each chapter because there were a lot of theme themes that came into play rather than just the plot of, you know, okay, the, the dogs have to go here and then the dogs have to go here. And what I like is that they don't really focus a lot on that. Yes. They tell you where it goes, but they're not like, so they had to go over this particular river with this rock and this rock was majestic <laughs> and just it's all it's beauty and song. And then never talk about that rock ever again. Cause this is, there were Tolkien. three cracks in the rock <laughs> among the cracks, seven drops of water. The water was slowly <laughs> dripping down one side of the rock. Okay, no. Tolkien. No, it's like <laughs> I tell you, this this story came closer to that than Tolkien does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell you that much. <laughs> I did love the uh, the personalities that he gave to the dogs mm -hmm. because I I was saying before uh, we recorded this, I told Andy that I couldn't wait to do this one because I really feel like it does nail down like dogs do have these personalities and you can see how they'll learn things and some of them 
will keep being hard-headed and going for something, and other ones will will get it right off the bat. And they're like, I don't want to fucking deal with that. I'd rather just be a lazy dog and do what you ask me, you know? Now, it makes me think, I watched a video the other day where this there's this pit bull, and this guy takes a ball or something that he, the pit bull wasn't supposed to have, and he puts it up, and the pit bull puts his mouth on it, and he takes it away from the pit bull. And then he moves it over to the side, and someone comes in with one of those like dinosaur puppets on their hand, and it bites the ball, and the dude just starts punching the fucking dinosaur in the head, and then he takes the <laughs> ball, and he goes to hand it to the pit bull, and the pit bull just turns away from it like, no fucking thanks, buddy. <laughs> you know? And I mean, that kind of sums up what the lesson, what they do with these dogs and this. I'm not saying that you should do that to your dog. It was funny to watch that, but it just like, you know, I'm yeah. confused how that has anything, anything well, to Buck, do with it. Because Buck, Buck at first is like, fuck these guys. You aren't taking me anywhere. And as soon as he tries to do that, they, they whip him with something. They hit him with something. No, they, as use soon the as they use the rope to choke him. Oh, yeah, they choke him with the rope. They use the rope to choke him. The man in the red sweater uses the club to beat him into submission. Yeah, because he's a dog abandoning, Abandoning any hope of overcoming a human violently. The law of the club. He was like if, right if away. He's like, wearing, if he's got a club, he eventually is is able to take down some humans later on. Right, but for that period of time, I mean, he goes from being a fierce animal that was about to protect himself to a you know a servant of these people because holy fuck, and I mean, yeah, a beaten th- down servant. And that's where I'm like, you know, I mean, people would be like that too. You know, if you were in a situation where you were you were held to what you are, I mean, everybody likes to think that they're big bad going to get out of it. But, man, I'll tell you what, some of the toughest people on the planet have been beaten to submission. And I'm not saying that it's the right thing to do at all, but it it works because I, obviously you don't want that. You don't you know that at some point beating is going to lead to death if you don't you know, you're not going to survive that if you keep getting beaten. So, I mean, mm-hmm. And that's where I'm saying, like, when I was talking about, like, the danger of personifying animals and giving them, like, human qualities, human, like, under, uh, interpreting their actions and thoughts as, like, being human and, you know, individual people or whatever, <clears throat> and that makes it impossible to not, uh, like, make this analogous to the slave trade, to, you know, seeing these 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 people these dog people uh as slaves now who have gotten trafficked and beaten into submission and made to work for the masters and, and despite uh, their their better uh their willpower or uh whatever strength of character that they have i mean it's it's not trying to say that a person and a dog are the same in any way shape or form but at the end of the day, we are all animals. Um, you know, we can be driven by our needs and our wants, and we can be driven by fear. We can be driven by abuse. And I'm not saying that you should, but it it can happen. The fact that it exists does not make it right, you know. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's to me, in a way, it is analogous to that because the way these guys treat these dogs is the same way that people were treating people or worse, you know, with the people. I mean, like, so 
I don't think that you're necessarily personifying the dogs. And I'm not even saying dogs are just like people. Obviously, they can't. You know, I, I always say this. I love how dogs have their own personalities. I've had enough dogs in my life and I've been around enough dogs to know that, you know, each individual dog, they 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 have their own personal glow a lot of times, like some things that, you know, you can count on about how goofy they are. Or they do this thing or they have ticks, you know. But at the same time, my thing is always, but it's a dog. So, like, in my eyes, the if I walk into the house, I don't want a dog, like, jumping on me. I want the dog to know, you're not allowed to jump on me, you know? Just like I wouldn't want anybody else jumping on me. However, if I walked in the house and my kids jumped on me, I'm not going to have the same reaction. I'm going to be like, oh, how you doing, and blah, 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 you know? But dogs, they have nails, they have teeth. You don't want them to, they don't even know their own strengths sometimes. So, you know, you kind of have to have a level of control with a dog that you would not necessarily have with a person. So there clearly is a difference, but at the same time, I do I do believe that dogs have their own personalities. Oh, for sure they do. I mean, look at Pancake. I love that he was like a person to me, but uh, true, he did sleep a lot, but you know, he was he was he could read your emotions like like a person almost. He knew when I had a bad day cuz he would just come and you know, just nuzzle up on me and he's like, oh, I'm here for you, bud. Don't worry. And, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure Phoenix and I know Beast did the same thing. Oh, Beast was 100% like that. He was a super empathetic dog. Yeah. He yeah. would always do the stupid stretch for me. He, they, Oh, man. It was so funny. You you would say Josh is coming and they would get excited because they knew what that meant. <laughs> it was right. so fun. Yeah, so. dogs are smart animals, and that's why yeah. I, I hate the way that they treat these dogs to get them to do what they want, because you don't have to treat them that way to get, you don't have to treat dogs badly to get them to do what you want. And no, in, in this in this book, they are workers. They are not pets. Yeah. They are straight up work dogs. Right. So Which that's is hard for people thing. today. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard for people today, because back then, it would, they were just like any other farm animal. It was like hooking a horse up to a plow. You mm-hmm. hook dogs up to a sled. They weren't. They slept outside. You know, they died. They died. It wasn't a big deal. You know, and now dogs sleep in beds. They wear clothes. They eat gourmet meals. They, you know, it's not anything the same. I always laugh when I see the the if you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside. Well, that's not always true. If Have you're you seen cold a outside, a husky is not necessarily <laughs> cold outside. It's not the same thing. First off, their body temper's automatically higher than ours as it is. I believe dogs run at about 100 degrees, which isn't much. But then you have their fur, which mm-hmm. you have their longer fur that you see, but you don't even think about that fur that's almost like a down underneath their undercoat. that. Yeah, their undercoat is a padding. It's a, it's a down. And the difference can be stark. I mean, remember Beast, was, his fur was so short that it almost looked like he was skin a lot of times in some spots. Phoenix just had a little bit thicker fur than him. They're both pit bulls. She had just a little bit thicker fur. She loved hanging out outside in the cold. Beast didn't want to be out. He didn't want to go out there to go pee in the first place. Sometimes he would walk to the end of the steps, hang his butt off, pee, and then walk <laughs> back in the house, you know? It definitely the whole if you're cold, they're cold it differs from breed to breed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You're sending a chihuahua out there. You know, yeah. <laughs> sit on the cold. Your little, your little lap dog is probably going to freeze pretty easily. Right. So put put that little knit coat on it or whatever bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And 
look at sled dogs today. They still do that for those races and things like that, but they're trained like athletes rather than work dogs now. So, right. but they still sleep outside like they like they used to do in the back then, and they still do it now. Just, I mean, a husky like. Like a yeah. German Shepherd, a Husky is, I would say the Husky especially, is probably as close to getting towards the wolf as you can get. And I don't know the last time you guys let a wolf into your house to sleep at night, but I haven't. <laughs> you know, it's like, they live out there. My dad had a half dog, half wolf before I was born. So, Kina was her name. So Have you ever seen an Alaskan Malamute? Yes. Uh, they are huge. Like, the back of that dog is, like, just at the bottom of my chest when it's standing on all fours. They're huge dogs. And they look like a, they look a lot like a husky. So, the breeds that are the closest to the wolf are the Shiba Inu, the Chow Chow, the Akita, and the Alaskan Malamute. So okay. None of which are either of the breeds that Buck uh, nope. was bred from. No, no Buck he was a half Bernard. Buck is a half St. Bernard and <laughs> half Scotch Shepherd. Right, yeah. I didn't get that part. Like, wait, this is a Saint Bernard because all the all the drawn pictures yeah, in the not book, a, not a pure Saint Bernard. Yeah, yeah. And people use all kinds of different type breeds of dogs for the covers of uh, <laughs> Call of the Wild that are out there. And right, I've heard that it's often mistaken for like a child's book because it, it involves dogs, and this is definitely not a child friendly book because it is very visceral. It's violent. It's uh, it gets into the primitive nature of uh, of dogs specifically, but yeah. In chapter two, uh, any anybody <laughs> who enters the wild, essentially. In chapter two, a dog gets killed <laughs> by other dogs. <laughs> Curly gets fucked up. So see, the, based the, on when I, when I'm looking at like the the copy I have is a great illustrated copy, classics copy. Okay, and the words in it are like 17 or 18 font. At least. Okay. <laughs> so I get what you're saying. Like, I don't think people are confusing this with a children's book. I think at the time it was written, it was definitely something that people expected children to read or have read to them because we're looking at it from our perspective. I wouldn't expect my kids to read something like this or, or learn about this stuff from a book that they that I happen to toss to him and said, hey, read this to yourself to go to sleep tonight, you know? But yeah. I think of someone like my grandpa Miller, who, when he was seven years old, was in a work camp sending money back home. You know, like, a year younger than my son, he was already learning the hard lessons of, of brutal fucking labor. You know what I mean? So... Mm -hmm. Yay, capitalism! Right, but that was normal back then. And it's not right, but it was normal back then. It, you know, <laughs> terrible and normal. Is Call of the Wild kind of like yay slavery? Kind of. I don't know that it's yay slavery. There's just like a critical look at uh, maybe labor or forced labor or... Uh... I think personally, no. I don't think that he thought that much into it. I think that other people, uh, like we might take it to that where we're like, oh man, you know, this is clearly a look at how mm -hmm. terrible something like slavery would be, right? But every account I read about Jack London said that it's like he got super into like... So, uh, socialist uh, labor practices or whatever and uh yeah he was very pro-union 
I would hmm. not uh I would not be like put it past him to have the the those sort of uh ideals put into this book about dog labor. Let's just uh, <laughs> uh neutralize it into like dog labor. But he still for whatever reason thought that the one group of people that had literally been enslaved were lesser. I mean, that's weird to me that he was like, hey, it's got to be fair for everybody. We need to talk about how they're treating these yeah. dogs. But also, uh, you know, it's how it is. <laughs> there are definitely themes about labor in this book. Oh, by far. I mean, oh, yeah, look, at, sure. look at the dogs that live to serve, live for their jobs. Uh, Solex and is it Dave? Where Dave they and Solex, just, yes. As soon as they're put into their into their braces, they turn into different. He literally says they turn into different dogs because they live for their jobs. And as soon as they're not doing that, they don't have a care and they they don't want to do anything. That's all they want to do is work because that's mm-hmm. the only thing that brings meaning to their lives. So I think that's one of the themes. It's it's like yeah, making making you feel like if you're not working, you are you're not worth anything. So, I think that's one of the There was that, themes. yeah, that got conditioned into the into the sled dogs. Uh there is a passage uh that I highlighted and copied into the notes here. Mm-hmm. Um though the work was hard, he found he did not particularly despise it. He was surprised at the eagerness which animated the whole team and which was communicated to him, but still more surprising was the change wrought in Dave and Solex. They were new dogs, utterly transformed by the harness. All passiveness and unconcern had dropped from them. They were alert and active, anxious that the work should go well, and fiercely irritable with whatever, by delay or confusion, retarded that work. The toil of the traces seemed the supreme expression of their being, and all that they lived for, and the only thing in which they took delight. So the work became their purpose... And that's, as far as I see it, is the the fully conditioned mentality of someone who's proud to be a slave. We see that even if we're not going with slave, but with workers today. Even if it's not so much slavery, yeah. 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 When we go with workers today, yeah. Like, you can be loyal to your job. Like, fuck, I'm loyal to the work that I do. Like... Uh, the, my line of work, I, I love it. Like the, like the, uh, Saginaw spirit broadcasting stuff that I do. I don't do it nearly enough to pay all my bills. It's not taking care of me all year long. Should I try to find something else that, uh, pays better or gets like works me more is more stable and predictable probably, but I'm so loyal to this like position that I feel wrong to leave it for something else. And you really shouldn't because they're and not going to care shouldn't. about you. They don't they don't give <laughs> they don't care about you at all, dude. Cuz you if you walked out, they'd replace you in a second. <laughs> no, it's it's working for me right now as like part of just part of what I do. I mean, I can supplement it with other things than I do, but um, there's a part of me that doesn't want to leave this because I, A, I like the work so much, uh, and B, uh, I guess I feel like if I don't do it, it's not going to be done as well by whoever takes my place, you know? You know, I, What I, does that matter? <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Is it your money? It's, <laughs> Sorry, I'm Josh, just... we, we know that you have zero loyalty. Like, we get that. But, oh, yeah, like, I know. Like I, I just had another I had job interview, interview yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> I really I relate to Andy on this, 
that's some internal fucked up thing where I have this work ethic in me going to work where I, when I'm at work, I'm down to come in. I want to work my 40 hours. If you want to make me work 50 hours and give me overtime for it, I'm cool with that as long as you let me know in advance that I'm going to be doing that. So I don't have to suddenly cancel a bunch of my plans on my free time. And I don't think that is a weird request. And it's strange to me when you look at people that are like, oh, no, you got to do it every day and you got to jump and you got to make sure because somebody else is here to take your place. And that's true. There's somebody else out there that's willing to take your place and take the abuse because we've all been conditioned to believe that the way it's supposed to work is a guy has an idea. He gets to be a billionaire. All the people that did the work to get him to billionaire status, they don't deserve shit because they didn't come up with an idea. They don't own a business. That's weird. <laughs> it's really you don't fucking like it, weird. Start your own business. You don't like it. Start your own business. Apparently, <sighs> what that. we're supposed to do is that every individual American adult is supposed to start a business with no employees, and that's how to solve the issue. That's the real problem. It, it's. <laughs> The most asinine argument in the entire fucking world, but people use it constantly. You can mm-hmm. tear it apart immediately with with individual people, right? If you're having a conversation with an individual, you can tear that argument apart. But the problem is, is you have these huge groups of people that will get together and they reinforce it with each other and they reinforce their own suffering. <laughs> we got them started. <laughs> and it's... It's just such an odd thing to me because I'm in this place where, like, I speak out about it all the time, but then I turn right around and I go do it because I don't (laughs) feel like there's any solution to it. There's no solution to it that I can do. I can't do anything about that fact. I went from making twice as much as I'm making now to applying for jobs that were almost exactly the same as the job I had, and they wanted to pay me half what I was making for doing all the work I was doing. Well, no. Mm -hmm. Why should they be able to do that? The only reason they could is because they're multi-billion dollar corporations that are huge across America, and they get to set the price. It doesn't matter. Even if every year they show more and more record profits and that record profit only goes to a few people, you know, when I see record profits, I would expect to find out that the people have record wages, but that's not how it works. Right. And we're that's supposed to be like, works. oh, that's totally fine. That's well, that guy had the idea. Jeff Bezos had an idea in 1997. <laughs> he worked really hard for three years. And since then, thousands of people have worked for him and mm-hmm. he's made Billions, almost a trillion dollars at one point until he got divorced and half was taken, you know. <laughs> but you know what? He's still fine. He's still, he still fine. got to go to space. He was, he was able to lose <laughs> nearly half a trillion dollars and not miss a step. Yeah. That is atrocious. There are people out there, me included, that if you gave me $5,000 right now, it might change my whole fucking life. Right? Right. But there are other people out there that throw $5,000 away on a Gucci bandana. There's something inherently wrong with that. And if it's criminal and it's weird to me that people don't see it or that they instead will say, if you complain about it or you say something about it, they're like, well, you're just lazy. Well, it's not laziness <laughs> to want to be paid a decent wage for the work you're doing. It's, I, what? Or the skilled labor. I had someone make the skilled labor t- argument to me the other day. 
oh, well, mm-hmm. people would do skilled labor. Oh, so everybody's supposed to be a carpenter or an electrician or a plumber, right? That's what we're all supposed to do. Well, who's going to be the janitor? Is the janitor less worthy of living a good life than the person who built the building? Because the person that built the building built the building and left. The janitor might yeah. work another 30 years there making sure that building stays standing because if you don't clean, it will all fall apart. You know, I mean, why? Mm-hmm. Why is he a lesser person? He's required. You know, my statement to the person was everybody's job is important because if everybody didn't do their jobs, then nothing would work. So how can you say that one job is so much more important than another? I mean, we can agree that a doctor is doing more than the janitor as far as individuals' lives, right? But if the janitor wasn't mm-hmm. clean in the hospital, the doctor would be working in a fucking shithole and people would be dying all the time. For real. So it, it, it's, it's nonsense arguments and we've all been conditioned. We've been conditioned to believe that we're supposed to be like this. And it, it it's weird to me. It's really weird. I don't understand it. <laughs> when you actually see it, it's, it looks really weird. Yeah. It's really weird. And because it's, uh, the people it, that shows fight up, the it shows up in the dogs. It shows yeah. up in the, the dogs in Call of the Wild. Oh, yeah. We're doing Call of the Wild. So this yeah. book was <laughs> about this has, been <laughs> this has been Don't Get Harold Started. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, guys. Bionic edition. Because again, Harold, <laughs> yes. you're more, you are more bionic than those fucking bats. God, I, I am officially book. more bionic than the bats. I have a screw in my foot keeping my bones <laughs> together. <laughs> Fuck that. I still hate that book. God damn it. <laughs> still angry about it. I actually got a mug the other day that says more bi- officially more bionic than bats. Yay! So. <laughs> <laughs> as Valentine's gift? Yeah, I got it as a gift. Nice. Uh, so yeah, Call of the Wild. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's our what's our next topic of discussion with this book? So yeah, chapter two. He uh, is with uh, was who are they? Francois and Francois Jean- and Perrault. 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 Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they they uh oh Francois and Ross Perot that was his yeah. name Ross Perot can yeah. I finish can I finish it's where he got his start <laughs> I can't finish taking dog sled or sled dogs <laughs> I found it interesting that uh, the that there were people referred to as half breeds like it was a half Scotch breed or like uh like there was a French Canadian and then a half breed uh, Perot was the half breed or whatever but well uh, that's how a dog would think of. People, I believe, because yeah. like, you thought of other dogs as being half breeds and things like that. Sure. So. I mean, I call myself a mutt. Oh yeah, <laughs> Heinz fifty-seven right here. The book wasn't told strictly from the dog's perspective, but it did follow the dog, and so kind of reflected his uh, viewpoint. And so people were breeds based on their uh, uh, nationalities or whatever. Yeah, and though though they were work dogs, there were a few like cute dog moments that I really liked uh, for the first time when they first see the snow for the first time and he's like freaked out he didn't know what it is <laughs> and it's just like it's like this was his oh, yeah. first he, like, snow so he, I was like, like ate some of it and it yeah. and it bit but then it was gone real quickly yeah, yeah. or that uh, there's another part where he like lays on his back and puts his feet up because he wants his moccasins because his feet aren't tough to the snow yet and so I, I imagine just this dog being all like silly, like, come on, put my thing, put my feet on. And because they said even <laughs> even the the staunch one of the group even got a chuckle out of it. And I was like, OK, I know exactly what that dog is doing. That's cute as hell. So. <laughs> so, yes, even though they were workers, they were still doggos. They have their things. But at the same time, they started 
you know, getting more wild. They were howling. They were and, there to fucking work. Yeah. But he was he was becoming remembering ancestors that he had, howling at the moon, becoming a more primal animal compared to where he came from in the Southland. Mm, yes, the other big theme of the uh, of the novel is uh, civilization versus uh, primitiveness or primordial uh, qualities, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But like the softness of civilization in contrast with uh, s- uh, just straight up primordial survival in the wilderness and kind of the survival of the fittest because he he gets he becomes rivals with spitz who is the lead dog and then they start trying to he tries he's a bastard yeah but then again buck was kind of fucking with him because he got all the other dogs to be like dickholes to to him so i mean it's kind of funny how it worked (laughs) it's like oh you're gonna be an ass well i can i can make your group not so cohesive and make it so that you're not as good and hell they they end up fighting and uh buck kills spitz well buck gets spitz on the ground to the point where he can't get back up and whenever this happens spitz did did it, did it to another dog earlier in the book uh spitz got the dog onto the ground and as soon as that dog was on the ground because of the pack mentality and they perceived that weakness all the dogs came in at the same time and finished the dog off right so as soon as, it, as soon as one dog goes down the rest of the dogs attack and yep. just finish them off Yep, the lead dog shows them what's up, and boom, they go after it. And it's because that dog is weak, and it's just it's the weakest link in the chain. Get rid of it, you know. That's how the the animals are viewing it, and it's it's odd because the in that way, that's how the humans are viewing the dogs too. In this very animalistic way, there uh, there's a dog later in the book um, that you know, wanted to run. I can't remember which dog it was now off the top of my head, but he wanted, he wanted to run even though he was too old to do it. And they knew he wasn't going to make it. Oh yeah. It's uh are you talking about Dave? Yeah. 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 The thing with Dave, Dave uh, falls into that hole. I want, I want to work. I want to do my job. I don't like it. He took so much, it became so much a part of his life that he could not stand not working. Like he got injured or something was wrong with him where, uh, they he could, they couldn't find any broken bones or uh, injuries or whatever, but he was clearly not pulling his own weight. So they they pulled him off of the off of the harness and they just let him run. Uh, tried to let him run alongside him, but uh, Dave just kept trying to get back into position and uh, nipping at the dog that took his spot or whatever. And he would not have just not being allowed to work. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was so indoctrinated. He literally killed himself to work so i don't think see there's a reason that that indoctrination can happen though okay and it is because of a drive that i think we share with dogs um a pride and a a feeling of something giving us meaning well no something giving us a meaning like so I think of this is a weird maybe correlation, but I think of my my great grandma Nowak. Okay, she was I believe ninety seven years old when she passed away. She took care of my uncle Ron, who had Down syndrome, until she was ninety four. I want to say okay, hmm. and up until that point, she basically could do everything on her own, and everything was fine. And she took care of Ron and. 
they finally told her, you know, hey, come on, you can't possibly keep doing this. We're going to put him in a nice home, you know, and he, he did go to a nice place. He was in an apartment where he basically got to have the apartment to himself, but he had caretakers that would come and check on him and he had a roommate, you know, and it was good for him because he was he was in his 50s by the time this happened. She had taken care of him from the time he was a baby till he was in his 50s. But as soon as Ron was gone, there was a noticeable decline in my grandmother. Her job was gone. That that thing that she had done, I, I don't believe she ever had a job. I think she was always a stay-at-home mom. I don't remember anybody talking about my grandma having a job, okay? Mm. She's, she was 97 10 years ago, you know? So, <laughs> so you could tell, and I mean, the whole family could tell. It was a topic of conversation how she had she began to decline as soon as she didn't have that job of taking care of Ron. Now, don't get me wrong. She was 97 by the time she died. She was going to decline anyways. Right. But sure. there was a decline in her spirit or her will, I guess yeah. I would say. Something kept her going to 97. Yes. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Well, she had a she, purpose. She, she every every couple of days she went to see Ron and they went to lunch together and she got to see him. You know what I mean? So that being able to see her son really helped her. I mean, she loved my uncle Ron very, very much. And, um, but yeah, something about her spirit kind of went away when she no longer had the, the responsibility of taking care of all his needs. Hmm. And I feel like by the time it made it to that point, she kind of came to a point where it was like, well, obviously he's doing okay. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't necessarily, it, it kind of feels the same. And that's, uh, I guess to me, that's why we can be indoctrinated that way. We have this spirit or this will about us and we do want to prove ourselves. I mean, even me, like I, during this time when I was working, there was a day where I did a job where usually we have four or five people doing it because you have 10 people doing the next job in line. And I did the job by myself to the point where a guy walked over and I said, I've been doing, he goes, motherfucker, you've been doing, but I was (laughs) broken foot. I was so fucking proud of myself for how awesome I was doing at the job. I didn't even care about anything else. I was just like, yeah, look at what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And like Hmm. that, I guess that drive sometimes is something that you can't get rid of. And, and you see in this dog, he, he didn't want to give up and he ended up falling to the wayside and the sled driver stopped the sled a ways up and took a walk back and wasn't it one gunshot. And then he came walking back. Yeah. Put him out mm-hmm. of his misery. Just left the dog back there, you know, for the, for the vultures <laughs> or the, the scavengers to eat. And the dog was saying, I'm an essential worker. Yeah, but I'm an essential worker. <laughs> I'm an essential worker. <laughs> but it's that, uh, it's that feeling of being necessary to the operation that kind of does something for your spirit and keeps mm-hmm. you in a, in a place, in a, in a task. Yeah. I mean, Buck, he felt like he won the, the spot of bead dog when he took out Spitz because they tried to replace Spitz with two other dogs and Buck was not having it. Uh, he was mm-hmm. like, what? I won this through my own. They keep talking about how smart Buck is. So he used his imagination to beat Spitz. But the fact that he's like, oh, I, I won by combat, trial by combat. Therefore, I am now the leader. It's very primal. It's a, you know, going back to that. Oh, initial theme of going back to the wild from civilization to the wild. That's I, I saw that as a another step in that that direction. 
it kind of shows that it was always in him. He needed a push to get back to it, but he it was always in him. You know, he went from being a singular dog on a farm or an estate to being in a pack of dogs. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that pack had an old way of handling things. Dogs would fight. A dog would kill another dog. And then he transitions later into actually running with wolves who have a natural pack mentality that we use to create sled dogs or to create shepherd dogs or any of our dogs. We use that pack mentality that is natural to them because we know that they're looking for someone to give them guidance, someone to give them leadership and what they need to do. That's a dog's greatest wish is to know what you want, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm. It, they just want you to love them. <laughs> well, they want you to, they want you to, I don't it, even know that it's love them. They want you to not be against them, not be mad at them or upset with them. They want you, they want to know that they did good mm-hmm. and they can feel safe. I think it's more about feeling safe for dogs than it is about feeling love per se, right? They, they live on affirmation. Yeah. Right. And to be fair, uh, he w- back in his civilized life at Judge Miller's place, he did kind of rule the roost dog-wise because there were – it did talk about there were several other dogs, two in particular that were more like froofy kind of <laughs> dogs. I forget. One was like – Oh, that barely toots, ever came outside. The Japanese yeah. pug or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, th- like he was the, the guardian of the, the judge's daughters or whatever and – did all kinds of stuff, and like he was the king of that uh, that estate in Santa Clara Valley. But uh, yeah, that somehow that transferred over to being like the alpha wolf of a uh, <laughs> like the legendary alpha wolf, ghost wolf of a uh, some sort of mystical tribe of <laughs> uh, primitive wolves at the end of the story. Which is weird because he would have had to have been one big motherfucking dog. Have you ever seen a wolf? Oh yeah. Look up a picture of a wolf next to a person. You could ride them like a horse. They're fucking massive. (laughs) Like a dire wolf? No, dude. Not like a dire wolf. Like a regular wolf. (laughs) A fucking timber wolf. (laughs) I follow a uh, wolf rescue on TikTok. It's pretty cool. Showing off. They always show the dogs doing their... Or the wolves doing their things. And yeah, they all have personalities too. So (laughs) I did want to mention that uh, there's a part in the story... I said, it was not too cold. The temperature dropped to 50 below zero. <laughs> yeah. That's not bad. You, that, 50 below. That's so fucking cold. It sounds <laughs> like fucking it, hoodie weather as long for as sure. The, it's dry, cold. <laughs> uh, again, I moved to California to get away from that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even get close to that in Michigan. No. No, not at all. Nah. But those polar vortexes, man, the negative 20 still. No, no es bueno. Hmm. Yeah, wolves, wolves can get pretty big. Yeah, no, they can get pretty massive. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's surprising. He must have been one big fucking dog because, you know, I mean, the dogs that the, the wolves that would have to live up in Alaska, you'd think they need to be big and have a good layer of fat on them to live in that kind of cold. Right. I'll have to just, look up uh, St. Bernard and Scott Shepherd to see. How big they get, but you know they they talked about Buck's weight here and there, and I think it was around like one forty or whatever when he was healthy, and or like when he was putting on muscle, it changed or whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't know how that translates to physical size of a uh, half Saint Bernard, half Scotch Shepherd. I mean, Saint Bernards are big dogs too, though. I will I will say they seem more bulky than 
and big. Yeah, they're not really tall. I still mainly know them because of the cartoons I watched as a child where the St. Bernard had a giant barrel of rum underneath it that he would take out to people freezing. <laughs> oh, yeah. All those, that, that old uh, St. Bernard trope. Yeah. The, res- the rescue dogs with the bottle of liquor or the little little barrel of uh, liquor to and, warm, and you warm you up when they find you. No, that just yep, makes it, uh, that will actually kill you quicker. <laughs> Beethoven was a St. Bernard, wasn't yep. he? Yeah. That was what I was going to say. When I think of a St. Bernard, I always think of Beethoven right away, which made me not want St. Bernard's because that sloppy mess of drool, man. Oh, gross. yeah. Yeah, no yeah. thank you. Yeah. It's bad <laughs> enough when any regular dog just drools, but big old slop. Like, I love English bulldogs, but I would not get one because they are so drooly and their face stinks. <laughs> yeah, I do not like dog smells. St. Bernard's Scotch. It doesn't look like Buck would have been able to get that big, like, at all, really. Right. So maybe it was just because he was smart? I don't know. But to be Mm. running a pack of wolves, man. Then again, though, I mean, it's not to say that sometimes, you know, (laughs) in a litter of, or yeah, a litter of puppies, one of them might just abnormally grow large. Just a great physical specimen, the alpha male dog, man. Look at, I mean, it happens with people, too. I was going to say, look at my brother. He's he's almost 6'1", and I'm only 5'9", so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can have that happen among people, and I'm even talking like, you know, there are people like Shaq, you know, he's a standout among others, (laughs) and he's- He's right at that point where he's not to a point of being like gigantism, but he's definitely not mm. a normal size human being. <laughs> no, way above average. I'm pretty sure that his shoe is as long as my entire arm, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's that big, but he does have very large it's, shoes. He's pretty fucking big. <laughs> it's like elbow to fingertip, maybe, as I look at it. Anyways. Wait, my foot uh, is elbow to, to wrist. <laughs> So around this time, they he gets sold from the uh, from the French to the postal service. Francois and Perrault. After yeah. uh, I like this. After three or four people get straight up, like they got sh- riddled like pepper boxes was the wording in the book. <laughs> I was like, I like that. That was nice. <laughs> so yeah, they just got sh- some people got shot. So. So when he starts working for the postal service, it become his days become like routines rather than like striving to do anything crazy. And he starts having memories of uh, his ancestors and a primitive hairy man who uh, what basically was a caveman. So he could he was thinking he was remembering his ancestors when they were running around with uh, you know primitive man. Primitive man who apparently could like swing from the treetops. <laughs> even better than he could run and like would clear like 12 feet <laughs> on a swing or something. Yeah, I don't think those are the primitive men that made dogs. Did man at one point <laughs> like swing from the trees? I mean, I believe long that an ago, ancestor but I don't... like great long ago, yes. Yeah, but, but I don't think they were uh, domesticating the wolves at that point. <laughs> no, we've only been domesticating canines for 15,000 years or so. Mm-hmm. The, the furthest back that they can take it is about 15,000 years, right around the same time that we started doing agriculture. Or, or shortly before we started doing agriculture, because they think that it kind of happened where they think they ki- it happened where we started taking animals around with us before we started planting seeds. And 
the wolves could keep the animals in check. Mm. And and then we started planting because these animals were eating all these plants and then they were shitting out the seeds and the seeds were growing these plants and they started recognizing like, holy shit, you notice how this whole area where all these animals are shitting, there's a whole bunch of plants growing up? I wonder what happens if we just plant the seeds. So it might be, uh, they. what was that I was reading that basically were it not for dogs, it would have either taken us much longer to get where we are, or we may not have come to this point at all because they changed the game for us. They became a hunting partner. They became protection. They became uh, animal uh, wranglers, all these different things that we ended up using them for. And it really progressed us. It doesn't seem like they could today with everything we have, but I mean, 15,000 years ago, that would have been top tier technology, how we see it today. And now they're our best friends. (laughs) Now there are mooching roommates who we need to take out to poop every so often. So I have this uh, this thing I put up one time where I was talking about how people like do the alpha beta, alpha beta, alpha beta, and I'm like, so you know, about fifteen thousand years ago, some beta wolf got kicked out of his pack and happened upon a human settlement. And realized that he could get food by hanging out with that pack. And now 15,000 years later, they're wearing clothes, sleeping in our beds, and we're basically taking care of them. Who's the beta wolf now? (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) you're sleeping out in the cold. You're still fighting for your life. And here are these these wolves that you said were lesser. Uh, They seem to be pretty smart in my book. (laughs) Checkmate, alphas. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And the wolf's like, you're wearing a sweater. You have hair. Why are you wearing that sweater? (laughs) And he's like, fuck you, that's why. And then the human shoots the wolf. And then the wolf doesn't matter anymore because the human was like, you almost killed my dog. I'm going to shoot you. (laughs) So, again, checkmate. (laughs) And then the dog has to get his sweater cleaned from the blood spray of the wolf. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, the, the part with the Postal Service, it just was a downer, basically. They just kept running them ragged until they... Till they died, till they couldn't run anymore, and then they replaced them with fresh dogs and sold them off to the idiots. Uh, mm-hmm. They seemed to be like efficient uh, masters who who cared about the dogs. Uh, they just kind of driven by the the force of capitalism, essentially, or. Like the mail must go through. All these people need to be sending messages back and forth, and we got to keep it running. They intended to give the dogs a uh, a good rest. Uh, well, see the the workers wanted to give the dogs rest because they also wanted rest, but the powers that mm. be did not allow that to happen because yes. So they're so they're like sell the dogs, get fresh ones, keep going, keep the mail running. Mm-hmm. Also, you don't get a break. Get back to work. <laughs> you don't get a break, and the dogs got sold to someone who wouldn't give them a break. Right. The to, to me, it's akin to the Pony Express, though. I mean, that what they used to do is ride a horse until it was about dead and then jump on another horse, and maybe that horse survived. Maybe that horse didn't, you know? And it lasted about yeah. two weeks because then the telegraph came along. <laughs> right, but still, that was if had the telegraph not come along, that would have been the way it went for a, a, quite a while. I think right? before they would have finally been like, yeah, we can't, you know, holy shit. <laughs> it turns out you run out of horses. Yeah. 
<laughs> and these animals are being taken care of only as much as it's economically efficient to do so. Absolutely. And there you go. Right right there. You just explain the American worker. These just animals are being taken care of. the American working class. Yep. 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 These animals are being taken care of as much as is economically <laughs> the whole business runs on their backs. Yep. But, <laughs> but if they don't like it, they can start their own mail service. Yep. <laughs> Send your mail by yourself then. <laughs> so they get sold to some of the stupidest people in the Yukon, who I think might have been based on Jack London himself, seeing as Jack London did terrible in the Yukon. Um he became malnourished at one point. He developed scurvy at one point. Yeah, Jack London didn't do very good in the Yukon. Yeah, scurvy. So we have this <laughs> ha- this guy, Hal, which possibly is short for Harold. Uh- <laughs> Hal is short for Harold. <laughs> another another Harold. Another dumb Harold in a book. How- God damn it, man. <laughs> And then there's Charles it's no wonder. and Mercedes. <laughs> it's no wonder we're a grumpy lot. <laughs> we, we have terrible representation. Terrible representation. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be taxed. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so yeah, until they start putting my name in some good books. Write your own. Oh wait, they have one with a magic crayon. Yeah, that's about the best one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. There's no Josh with a with a magic crayon. <laughs> There's Captain Underpants, one of the the main boys is named Harold. Ah, oh, that's right. Yep, Harold Hutchins. Yeah, he's no slouch. He's no slouch. Of course, he is just a just a kid and gets in all kinds of scrapes. Yeah, but look, he always gets out of it. Mm-hmm. And he turns out to be gay. <laughs> just just a bit of trivia there. Does he? Like, yeah, he visits his future self, and he has a husband in the future. Huh. Progressive. Nice. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah, these people, idiots, Ugh. they should not be doing what they're doing. And yeah, it's a man, a wife, and her brother. It's seriously, the scene that they are showing them trying to get everything together and trying to leave, it definitely reminded me of the space ball scene where they're in the in the desert with the luggage. And they're like, she's like, I'm not leaving without my <laughs> luggage. That's Mercedes. <laughs> I'm not leaving without yeah. my tent. I'm not leaving out without this and this. It's like <laughs> it's just you got so to. sadly comical. Yeah, because they had the whole the whole town saying like you know you really shouldn't be carrying so much and you really should be packing your tent better and you shouldn't like you sh- your weight should be distributed and you really should break the runners of your sled loose of the ice before you make your dog start trying to pull it. Oh, that part was painful to read when they they kept trying to make the dogs run even though the runners were frozen to the ground yeah because the dogs kept trying mm-hmm. and they couldn't move they because they, they were frozen fast yeah it makes sense yeah. i mean the whole the whole fucking long area of the the sled is stuck to the ground it's hard to break that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and then they just get more dogs and they don't have the right amount of food for that many dogs when they don't understand that and they turn out to be really bad at rationing this food they're just they're just bad at life itself they're terrible because yeah first they overfeed then they underfeed (laughs) (laughs) and the woman is like the worst kind of stereotype of like the hysterical woman who has 
who's just too pampered, too civilized for the wilderness, expects to be pulled on the sled, won't like won't do any of the labor. I notated uh Mercedes screamed, cried, laughed, and manifested the chaotic abandonment of hysteria. So at this time hysteria was a legit diagnosis for uh women because they were people. <laughs> but the husbands uh, were like, oh, um, something must be wrong with this woman. So they had this disease called hysteria. One of the one of the ways to fix it, by the way, uh, was a device used for basically masturbation for the woman so that she could orgasm. You, you know, what's what's even more wild than the whole like masturbation machines that they had to cure hysteria is that years later it was legal for a husband to take his wife in and have her lobotomized. Oh, that's <laughs> because, fucked up. Yeah. It's like, so fucked up the way that we've treated women over. Oh my God. Years. Like, and you can do it to kids too. Like boys as kids, but like you couldn't just take a man in to have him lobotomized. He had, he had rights, you know, only criminals but yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> or black people. One of the, there was a Kennedy sister, I believe. I believe it was one of John F. Kennedy's sisters that like was kept out of the the limelight because they had gotten her lobotomized and it kind of was botched and she basically became a drooling mess and yeah but yeah there was a time man when you could be like man this she's being real naggy could you just cut a piece of her brain out for me like what the fuck rosemary <laughs> kennedy yep thanks bing <sighs> you're quick i am just now putting together the um the correlation of the the root word between or like the root prefix between hysterics and like the uh hysterectomy uter- like uterus yeah the, yeah the whole uterine uh hist- hysterectomy yeah. the hystero uh, prefix relating to the uh, to the uterus and that being linked to hysterics hysterical <laughs> Yeah, man, they can't fucking hold it together because they don't have balls hanging between their legs. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously. But no, it's just it's just wild that I'm not putting it t- together that the word hysterics was a feminine. Like they had to come up with something for what's wrong with the woman folk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't understand why she's acting so crazy. I beat her twice a week, <laughs> <laughs> and it still like- doesn't stop her her <laughs> woman in. Yep. Her hysterics. It's got to be that uterus. <laughs> Must be those fallopian tubes. They're all gummed <laughs> up. <laughs> like, what the fuck, guys? Golly, America's great. Yep. For the first time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but after this, we finally meet a hero in, a, in the story. John Thornton. He saves Buck. Because Buck was like, I'm not going on that ice. <laughs> <laughs> those those people were like, John Thorne's like, I wouldn't go out on that ice. You're gonna, It's getting too thin. They're like, yeah, we made it this far. We can do it. <laughs> and Buck would not move. <laughs> These dogs have been worked too hard on too little food. Uh, some of them are dead uh, at this point because they just couldn't work anymore. <clears throat> and so they've been they've been offed. But they were still uh, working, which is crazy. <laughs> they were dead, but still working. Yeah. Just goes to show their dedication to the trace and trail. Um, but yeah, these dogs could not move anymore. And it was getting on spring. The ice is getting thin. And Buck was giving up. 
So they tried to beat him until he would get up and John Thornton just, nope, John Thornton would not have it. He stopped him from beating poor Buck and he's like, you know, leave that dog alone. And then they're like, well, we're leaving anyway. And then they leave and... Yep, fall through a hole in the ice because they're fucking idiots. And the worst <laughs> part was that those dogs died. That was the part that made me sad. I didn't care that the people died because they're idiots, but poor dogs. Yeah, they took the dogs yep. with them. Yep. It's, it really sucked that their response to the dogs not being able to pull was just to whip them harder. Mm-hmm. At one point, Mercedes said to the dogs, why don't you work hard? Then you wouldn't be whipped. Just shows that she doesn't get it. Yeah, they she don't, does. She they, they just don't get it. She personalizes the dogs like they're people. It's like right, <laughs> and that's where I'm saying that's where I'm saying the difference comes in for me. Like, yes, I think the dogs have a personality and everything, but there comes a point. Like, if you're looking at a dog and you're giving it a paragraph explanation about something, that dog has no idea what the fuck you're saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But also this mentality of why don't you work hard? Then you wouldn't be whipped is a very 1% capitalist oh, for sure. uh, mm-hmm. top down look at uh, at labor things. So I'm I'm betting that like Mercedes most of all is the personification of the quote unquote civilized world and uh, maybe capitalism, but just like the the system of uh, of men mankind that uh, that doesn't understand the best way to to get labor out of workers. Well, and the the ending to their story is literally that they're looking at these dogs as just workers. They're whipping these dogs. They're treating them bad. So these dogs are in a bad place. These people are come from money or they're they're high society or whatever. They're they're better off than other people and just trying to get their way. And at the end of the day, in nature, it doesn't matter. They both ended up at the bottom of a lake. Yes, the cold, uncaring uh, side of nature, the wilderness. But this is where Buck learns that some humans are worth loving. And that's because John Thornton treats him like... Treats him like a friend. Treats him like a like a pet at this point. Well, he finally gives him a chance to fucking rest. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and he meets two other dogs, but they're not fighting with them. They're just pals. So we got Skeet, and that is a dog with a doctor trait. So the every morning, the dog would go over and lick all of uh, Buck's wounds and stuff, trying to help him heal. And I was like, I've never really heard about that, but it makes sense that some dogs would, would do that. It makes it's good. I like that. And then there's another dog. Uh, <laughs> this might show some of his racism. Uh, so it's a black dog, and unfortunately, his name is Nig. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sign of the times. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> also, he was a racist. So. Yeah, Jack Lennon was pretty racist. So that might be why the dog's name is that. But listen, he was a racist with a socialist heart of gold. Okay, so weird. <laughs> I did read that, uh, and later in life, he he didn't really seem to be that socialist. So he might have just been doing it because that was the group he was running with. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if I like that either. So, <laughs> but, sounds about right. Um. So yeah, Buck is surprised because there's no jealousy. Whereas the before he always had to work and uh, try to make it make it up the ladder, and now he's just one of the one of the one of the dogs, one of the kids. Well, he's escaped the uh, the system of uh, of sled pulling. 
the endless endless breakbaking work of capitalism. But mm-hmm. as it goes in most stories and real life a lot of times, things are not always going to remain so wonderful for poor Buck. But some things good things do happen first. Like uh Buck wins John Thornton a bet using his immense strength to pull what was it a ton of flour he he pulled a thousand pounds on a sled and he broke it yeah. uh, loose that was, that was part of the bet he had to to break the sled and pull a thousand pounds for a hundred yards so the length of a football field so that's pretty cool it's quite a distance I really like how they talk about John grabbing Buck's face and then him cursing at him. Because seriously, who doesn't like to do that? Like, who's a stupid dog? Who's stupid? Who lo- who's a stupid, stupid idiot? <laughs> and they're just like, yep, that's me. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he would gently curse at uh, yeah. at Buck in a loving way. And Buck would softly bite him on the arm. Yeah. Hard hard enough that he leaves impressions on the skin, but not hard enough to break it. So puppies tend to it was do a, that. A mildly aggressive love. Yeah, I they just liked it rough. I met I met a puppy last week on one of my walks, and it was doing the little the little love bites, and I was like, oh, you're so precious. <laughs> it was really cute. <laughs> but I like this note that you have. Like he made uh, John Thornton a, a sixteen hundred bucks with that. Uh, that bet mm-hmm. and uh with uh how much six sixteen hundred bucks and eighteen ninety six money is over fifty three grand <laughs> uh in today's in today when you put it in today's money so yeah people are throwing ar- around a lot of uh of money on bets also a thousand is like a good round number to put a like a bag of gold you just prospected out on the table mm-hmm. but yeah that's a hefty chunk of change. I bet you fifty three grand that your dog can't pull that sled. Yeah. <laughs> Even more impressive that it was a St. Bernard Scotch Shepherd, essentially a collie. I looked up pictures of a Scotch Shepherd and it looks like a collie dog. Mm-hmm, kind of. So Buck starts going out into the so. woods a lot more, feeling that, hearing that call, trying to answer the call. He actually meets a wolf and they uh, spend an evening together or quite a while together. They don't really s- explain. But then, yeah, he's... Uh, Drawn back to the camp because he still does love John Thornton. This is, I don't know if he did this. So it says that he killed a black bear. And then <laughs> then on top of that, he killed the two wolverines that were trying to scavenge it. So I can almost believe a black black bear because black bears are pussies when it, in the bear family. But wolverines are assholes. He's a killing machine. Wolverines yeah. are basically the North American honey badger. Yeah. So I, I don't know if... Because they're in Far Cry, and those things are a bitch to kill. So. They are. Oh, I hate them so much. <laughs> but I will say, uh, I remember I was told a story way back in the day when my grandpa was taking my dad, and they were in a dune buggy, and they were in some trails, and they pulled up, and they had stopped for something, and they heard this noise coming from the side. And when my grandpa looked over, he saw it was a wolverine, and he was like, oh, shit, and he kicked it into gear and started driving away. My dad was like, why uh, running away from that? He goes, those motherfuckers will come grab the tire. They don't care. <laughs> they do not give a they shit. They do not care. He's like, they'll grab onto your fucking tire and you won't be able to get them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they can hold on really well because I'm driving anyway. <laughs> it's just a, just a circle of fur as it spins around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He, he eventually takes down a giant moose 
it takes him long a long time, but he's patient. He they they talk a lot about how how patient he is in this chapter. Oh, yeah, he's very me- methodical about taking down like this uh this bull moose that's kind of like the the lead of the herd, uh, isolating it from uh from the herd and kind of starving it to death or somewhat. Won't let it uh, eat. Won't let it drink. Won't let it sleep. Yeah. And like after four days, like it's just so weak that uh, he finally takes it down. Yeah, he becomes a Terminator, a killing machine, bigger, stronger, faster. <laughs> oh, would you say bionic like? You guys? <laughs> he did have bionic-like strength. He did have bionic-like yep. strength and stamina and, and brain power for mm-hmm. a dog. Mm-hmm. God, I hate that fucking book. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And it didn't even take any experimental chemicals to do it. Just take this domesticated dog out of, uh, out of civilization, make him pull a sled, make him fight for everything. Uh, just uh, months of... Uh, Constant survival mode. Yep. I mean, that would do something to somebody. I'd have to imagine. <laughs> Bing, bang, I boom. Mean, yeah. <laughs> either kill you really quickly or turn you into a vicious uh, primal killing machine. Right. And coming from that high of killing that great moose, he comes back and, Harold, what were you going to say happens at the end there? <laughs> Oh, well, uh, he ends up uh, seeing that uh, John Thornton has been killed by some indigenous people called the Yeehats. I believe it's hots, and but yes, hots, yeehots, yeehots. Okay, yeehots. Okay, yeehots. yeah, that makes sense. Didn't and, even look uh, up the pronunciation. Everyone there's dead. All right. So Buck goes on a revenge tour and fucks the shit out of the yeehat yeehats. <laughs> he doesn't literally fuck them. He he, he goes kills, on a revenge tour. He kills uh, some and and mangles others. And uh, since John Thornton is gone, he he doesn't have anything keeping him to the civilized world anymore. So he ends up getting with a pack of wolves and uh, definitely does some fucking when he's there. Uh, <laughs> in this in this scenario, it was the dog as an analog of the human going <laughs> and uh, having sex with animals, not you know our usual, our usual <laughs> thing where we, where we discover some B story like that. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, Buck's definitely fucking those wolves. Yeah, oh yep. yeah. Oh yeah. He has, he has <laughs> definite <laughs> kids coming out of that. Yeah, and, they, uh, I believe they mentioned it as like some wolves started showing up with uh similar markings and color patterns yeah, to the having more brown legendary ghost white. wolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they called him a ghost wolf. He was a, a scary creature that they didn't want anything to do with. And uh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He lives with the wolves now. He answered the call of the wild. He did, and he went full bore. And full that wolf. is Call <laughs> of the Wild. I don't remember. Hold on. I'm re- I'm at the end of the book right now, and I'm flicking through the pages. I don't remember him fucking a boar. I don't think he fucked a boar. <laughs> would, I said oh, full boar, not, not fucked a boar. Oh, yeah. Full boar. <laughs> full, full wolf. F-U-L-L-B-O-R-E. <laughs> full boar. So... You know, I see in the notes you got summarized themes of the time period versus how those themes hit now. And I, I, you know, like I say, I mean, so much of this story was definitely a product of its time. And uh, along with someone like Jack London with his views and stuff like that. But at the same time, as we've noted throughout this, that a lot of these ideas hang on today in different ways. You know, how we're talking with, with, our loyalty to work or our mm-hmm. our inability to see, I don't know, 
I guess not an inability to see something, but how easily we can we can be made to heal, I guess. Hmm. I think the whole theme of civilization versus like the primal nature of uh, surviving in the wilderness probably doesn't hit us so much as it might Mm -hmm. to like a more outdoorsy type people, Mm -hmm. uh, which there definitely were more of back in that day or... It was part of regular life back in then, the past. Though. It was more part of regular life. Yeah, yeah. A lot, mo- by and large, people have come away from a uh, natural uh, wilderness kind of a uh, way of uh, of living, and were way more part of uh, c- quote unquote civilized communities <laughs> where our strength comes in uh, togetherness and cooperation rather than like the rugged individualism of strength of ability to survive and uh you know man- <laughs> manage uh others who are competing with or and or cooperating with i was going to say that oddly enough today in order to go off and live like that you either have to be willing to live with nothing and do it all on your own or you actually have to start with some money you know if someone wants to right. go so many of the people that homestead they aren't homesteading from a place of well i had nothing so i went and bought a couple acres of land in alaska and i decided to pull it on my own no those people usually are starting with money cuz they're able to buy like you know caterpillar crane or uh, backhoes and they <laughs> they've got you know they they can build all this stuff they have enough to ba- buy a log cabin and build it even if they build it by hand they have to buy all the materials so even mm-hmm. to go do this type of lifestyle today you essentially either have to go get a job doing it or you have money to be able to go do it it's the opposite mm. of what it was back then. You you didn't have anything, so you fought your <laughs> way through nature. And now it's like you have so much that you're like, oh, I'll buy some nature and go rough it for a little while. <laughs> yeah. This is bring along my satellite phone and yeah. <laughs> go into town for the essentials every so often. Have we gotten Elon Musk's Starlink internet out here yet? <laughs> <laughs> I just watched a show on Netflix called, I think it's called Into the Wilderness, and it's about the last homesteader. His name is Dwayne or- Osei, and they had a thing called Osei Mountain. Basically, he was retiring, and they were getting too old to keep it up, so they he was handing it off. But then I just did some digging for after I finished it, and yeah, he kind of went crazy after the show. <laughs> <laughs> So I think you also have to kind of be crazy to want to do that sort of thing in, at this point in your life. But I don't know. I'm not going to do it. I don't have enough money. I know that. You don't have the money, but also like why? Like I understand where people are like, you know, the, I keep hearing this saying where like uh, soft times create soft men and soft men create hard times and hard times create hard men, right? I, I, so this statement is like thousands of years old made by a Greek philosopher, right? Hmm. And I just don't think it applies today, you know? People who believe that create hard times right, for right. the rest of us. Right, because it just doesn't work like that today. At that time, there was no... We live at a time when we could 
with very little effort at this point, make sure that every person on the planet is fed and has a place to live and doesn't have to suffer these wars and whatnot. If we spent a quarter of what we spend on war on people, we would mm-hmm. solve a lot of these problems, right? Even but, just making sure that people have good paying jobs. Right, right. Or or we could just make sure people have good paying jobs. I mean, it, there's no give or take. It's like either people are like, well, you're a complete socialist who just wants everything for free, or you have to be willing to work three minimum wage jobs to fucking afford a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. It, yeah, and... Uh, I guess it just it comes down to like if if we want that to happen we have to have a, we have to enable our governments to be able to step to, step in and crack down For sure. even harder than it's able to now and that's Dude. where a lot of people say hell no we're not going to let that happen because freedom 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 like at no point do they have a rule where they're like hey you got to make sure the workers okay they're like, we, we, we need to protect these damn businesses. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> what about the individual worker that makes not that much money? Like, my God. But, you know, to suggest that is to say, like, oh, what are you, lazy? Or what are you just trying to get something? It's, it's weird. I'm, again, it's weird. <laughs> right. You know what? At some point, I just got to throw you away and replace you with somebody I can train to do what you do. Right, right. To protect my bottom line. That's what I laugh about with skilled workers and stuff. You know, they say they're like, well, skilled labor, as if anybody couldn't learn that skilled labor. Like, that's not the point, dude. (laughs) Are you telling me that what you learned is something other people can't learn? No, come on. You know, <laughs> people been building shit for thousands of years. You're not special. <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> Arguably, people used to build things better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the same time, there's a lot of stuff that I don't really have a lot of will to to learn. Like trades, like being like doctors, a surgeon. I don't have the. I don't think I have the stomach for you know being able to open somebody up, put stuff back together, and whatever and that's not exactly a skill that i want to learn and that's not just something that you suddenly come upon i'm physically capable of doing it but mentally i i know (laughs) right it takes certain people we we all Mm -hmm. have our strengths and our weaknesses and we still need everyone to make everything work the way it does Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with him fucking wolves, but it's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can take the dog out of the civilization, but I guess you can also take the civilization out of a dog. Right. Huh. You can teach an old dog old tricks. Uh, <laughs> Something like that. Something along those lines. Well, they, they did teach- prove on Mythbusters that you can teach an old dog new tricks, so... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just repetition and uh, positive conditioning. Yeah. Repetition and positive feedback. Positive reinforcement. Yep. And a red sweater and a club. Ooh, that would work too. Or that. (laughs) Yep. That works too. Just the positive feedback is a better way to go. (laughs) (laughs) The law of the club and fang. Yep. (laughs) Well, this has been a 
good talk, good discussion, good episode, good book, actually. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was a reading good book. it, listening yeah. to it. I think it was well written, definitely thought provoking. I found myself not wanting to kill most of the dogs. <laughs> That's good. I didn't want to kill any of the dogs. I just wanted to kill those fucking idiots that killed themselves. So <laughs> Spitz was a bastard, though. Yeah, he was kind Spitz of a dick. A yeah, <laughs> could have used a little clubbing, but right. Poor, like, poor Curly didn't even make it past the second chapter. <laughs> <laughs> poor Curly, or maybe at the very least, a pinch collar. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny how like the Francois was usually like egging egging them on, like when when Buck and Spitz finally got into it, uh, Francois was like, give it to him! Come on, go! <laughs> mm-hmm. Cheering on like a Pokemon fight or something. Well, Spitz didn't show up, and he was like, what did I tell you? Buck, there I'm the two! Well, and I kind of... You kind of think about it. I mean, another thing that wouldn't have been abnormal back then is dog fighting. I, I mean, it happens today, unfortunately, but back then, you oh, know, that was that probably been a normal for sport for them back then. Yeah, yeah. When I mean, there was cockfighting, dog fighting, uh, people would fight in oh, pits. Bare I mean, knuckle it, yeah. bra- brawlers and stuff. Yeah, people yeah, yeah. fighting I mean, for whatever reason, <laughs> you know, entertainment, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, it was a good story though. I did enjoy it. Um, I actually i I read the book and listened to the audiobook on this one, and I did. I don't know if I got the same audiobook as you guys. If you listen to the audiobook, but I I liked the narrator's telling. I thought he did a really good job of capturing the emotion throughout the story. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of different audiobooks of it out there because Let's it is see. a public domain story. <laughs> oh, uh, is by it? now? Yeah, it's public domain. Um. I listened to a version of it on LibriVox. Uh, Pablo a, uh, Schreiber is who I had it. Had. Schreiber. Pablo Schreiber. So a... Hmm. Hmm. Oh. I don't even know. The audiobook. I listened to two of them. The first one I listened to it was like a gruff old man. And I really actually enjoyed his version. And then today I listened to a little bit of the YouTube one trying to get trying to, you know, get back into the sense swing of this. And I didn't like it as much. Uh, he didn't have as much emotion, so I wouldn't recommend the first one on YouTube. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the thing about public domain books is because anybody can just record it and put it out there, you get a lot of subpar wannabe narrators putting that stuff out there. But uh, Speaking of which, we should do a public domain book at some time and make it a special episode. <laughs> 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 just do the original fairy tales Andy's like I'm a damn good narrator I do audiobooks you I'm bastard. a damn good narrator <laughs> yeah we know no, but We've- you know you know what recently you know what recently came into public domain is Winnie the Pooh oh Ooh. yeah we're gonna definitely do that at some point cause so, so like if we wanted to we could read the whole damn thing <laughs> with commentary do it old school like how we used to do things yeah, do, do the whole book. <laughs> That's a little bit further than old school. That's yeah. just like <laughs> word for word. Word for word. It's like a riff tracks level. <laughs> I'll tell you, I would love to go back someday and do Maniac McGee in our newer format. And not fucking, <laughs> like just to not make it three yeah. episodes long. But I right. feel like even though we did it that way back then, a year ago, <laughs> um... Mm-hmm. It's still, I don't know, it still holds up. I listened to that one <clears throat> recently and I wasn't terror. I, was, I didn't think it was too bad. You know, I don't either. Nah. And you mentioned that we, <laughs> that it was a year ago. Um, next week, actually, our 
first anniversary of the podcast is upon us. Hmm. We released our very first episode on Charlotte's Web on March 2nd of 2021. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yep, and so we'll be releasing an episode on March 1st, because it's on the Tuesday, which we usually uh, release our episodes on Tuesdays. But um, yeah, that's going to be our first anniversary special uh, episode. We're not going to move on to the next book quite yet. and We keep de- we keep delaying our snow books. <laughs> but <laughs> The snow delays. <laughs> this time it's for a, a special occasion. And uh, we're going to try to work in our uh, Bruce Colville uh, interview into that episode. So stay tuned for that. Hopefully we can pull this off and uh, have, a, have a discussion with Bruce Colville on all kinds of stuff as part of our first anniversary special, which will be released next week. I finally came up with a question I wanted to ask him. Yeah? Oh, finally? (laughs) What's your favorite kind of ice cream, and why is it Blue Moon? And why is it Blue Moon? I wonder if he's even had Blue Moon. I wonder myself. Hmm. I can't get it here. It sucks. It's a good question. I really wish I could get it here, but I can't. (laughs) He lives out in Syracuse, New York. I don't know if they have Blue Moon ice cream out there. Hmm. You'd think so. They sure as fuck don't have it in California. (laughs) California Let's doesn't ask have a him lot of just, things. We have a lot of We'll t- ask him that have. just randomly. We have Del Taco. You don't have Del Taco. We do not have Del Taco. No, we've got the authentic stuff, Taco Bell. <laughs> we got that yeah, too. Taco Bell. All right. Yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Till next time, support your local libraries and independent booksellers. Give a shit and read some lit. Thanks for listening to us, Blab. Nah, Cormie. Woof, woof. <laughs> this has been Reliterated, a production of the Chocolate Milk Friends and part of the 989 Podcast Network. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us support by subscribing, recommending us to your book reading, podcast listening, 90s nostalgic friends, and most importantly, rating and reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible Podcasts, and Spotify. Did I mention we really want some Spotify ratings right now? Your ratings and reviews go a long way towards getting us in the ears of new listeners. You're also invited to join the growing Reliterated community on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And if you really want to get nuts, we have a Discord too. So bing us and join us in this nonsense. If you have a book suggestion for a future episode or have questions for us, send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Dog and Max gonna give it to you.